Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. As always, I am joined by Brendan, and we are coming to you on a Monday morning after the Cubs have finished up a four-game sweep of the Cincinnati Reds here at Wrigley Field. Just like we asked for, Brendan, we asked nicely, and the Cubs very politely deliver the four-game sweep of the last place Reds, which puts the Cubs in a very good position heading into the final weeks of the season. We already spoke to you after the first game of this series, the Cubs winning on Thursday 7-1 to behind their their newfound ace, I suppose, Cole Hamels, who continues to be lights out since joining the Cubs. So we will touch on the other three games in this series, and then we will preview the upcoming set with the New York Mets, and we will talk about everything that is in between. As always, a little programming note here, we are available on the normal cast of podcast sites and feeds, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., and uh, we'll continue reminding for just a little while longer just to make sure uh, any technical issues are sorted, that Blog Talk Radio no longer updates their feed for us, even though they are our main host, because they are moving things over to a new service called Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. So just want to give you guys a heads up. Again, we always do two episodes a week, as you saw this week, even if we uh, have to adjust on the fly, which is very rare. I believe that's the first time we've done that, certainly in a long time. Uh, but we will do two episodes a week no matter what, um, and obviously, hopefully, sticking to our normal before and after every series schedule from here on out. But let's jump into these three Reds games that we didn't cover. Again, the Cubs winning on Thursday 7-1 to one to start the series. On Friday, guess what, Brendan? David Bodie hit another walk-off home run. I am not sure what else can be said about uh, everything that David is doing here at the Major League level, uh, but it is certainly a lot of fun to be at the ballpark here at Wrigley Field. Anytime the Cubs have a chance to win a game and David Bodie is called upon, there's uh, obviously, at this point, a good bit of an energy and a buzz when he steps to the plate with a chance to win the game. And since it was Players Weekend, he had Boat as his nickname on the back, and he parked one on Waveland Avenue to win this one, the Cubs winning 3-2 to two on Friday. Pedro Strope actually blowing the save in this one, even though he has been very, very good since taking over the closer duties while Brandon Morrow is still out. Uh, 
and that allowed David Bodie to win this one with his fifth homer on the year. Daniel Murphy also homering in this one. That gave the Cubs a lead and looked like it was going to win the game uh, for a moment in the bottom of the eighth. But again, Eugenio Suarez ruining that one, homering off Pedro Strope, and then David Bodie winning it. On Saturday, the Cubs winning 10-6. Jose Quintana delivers five innings, six hits, two runs, three walks, and two strikeouts for his 11th win of the season. I am sure, as always, Brendan will have a few things to say about that. Daniel Murphy homering again, his eighth overall on the year, obviously his second in a Cubs uniform. That gave the Cubs an early 3 to nothing lead. The Reds would make it close at 3-2, to two, but then the Cubs would kind of pull away here. Kyle Schwarber and Javi Baez homering, numbers 23 and 28 for those gentlemen, respectively. In the 6th and 7th, Rizzo, Murphy, and Baez pushing the Cubs to 10 runs. In the 8th, the Reds would get 2 within 4, but that would be that. Again, the Cubs winning 10-6 to six to pick up the series win, and on Sunday... A very swelteringly hot afternoon in Chicago. For those of you uh, that live there, or may have attended the game. Uh, it was it was a hot one, and the Cubs offense stays hot. They win this one nine to nothing. Another phenomenal start from the professor Kyle Hendricks. Though for Players Weekend, he goes with Hendo on the back of his jersey. Not sure how I feel about that one, Brendan, but. Uh, when he delivers seven innings of two-hit shutout baseball with one walk and five strikeouts, he can write whatever he pleases on the back of his jersey. He was great. Today picks up his 10th win of the season. The Cubs getting their runs. Wilson Contreras, Jason Hayward, David Bodie driving in a run each in the bottom of the first. David Bodie with his sixth home run in the bottom of the third to make it five to nothing. Another single RBI single from Jason Hayward made it six. And Kyle Schwarber with his 24th of the year made it nine to nothing. And that was really all she wrote. On Sunday, as the Cubs pick up the sweep, Jason Hayward going 4-for-4 four four in this game, scoring three runs and driving in two. So, Brendan, I will throw it to you, but ultimately, I think this one fairly simple and about exactly what we asked for. And, you know, I know I said that kind of at the outset as a joke, but, you know, you're, you're, you're playing the Cincinnati Reds. You need to rack up wins as the Brewers and Cardinals are obviously not fond of fading away just yet. And the Cubs come out and do just that. They pick up four wins. Uh, really, for the most part, this was not a tense series uh, other than the game on Friday that Bodie ends up winning. You know, really, the Cubs kind of in cruise control for most of these games. So any particular thoughts uh, on this series? Two numbers. First number, 98.9%, Corey. That is the Cubs' playoff chances as of, uh, what is it, Sunday night. 98.9% chance. There's only 33 games left. They're four games up. They're four and a half games up. We said before we went into this four-game set, they need to beat these teams. They have to take advantage of this because we have a difficult schedule coming up with Milwaukee, Atlanta, etc., and Philly. This is great, and these wins are so much more important now when there's only 33 games left. Each one's more valuable. So that was overall the the biggest, obviously the biggest um, standout point to me is just winning these teams or winning these games against bad teams. The second uh, biggest team to stand out, one, is Daniels Murphy's presence on top of the order, Right. And we're getting news, and we'll talk about this exhaustively this podcast episode. But Chris Bryant's going to come back soon. If nothing bad happens on his rehab start, uh, he'll update us with more specifics probably. But he'll be on a rehab start starting uh, the first game on Tuesday in Iowa. His last rehab stint in July with Tennessee was only for two games. So I don't know if that will be a two-game rehab stint this go-around. But nevertheless, we're looking at maybe even a midweek return for Chris Bryant, which is a big deal. Murphy is uh, it's it's so interesting I guess is the word to to put it because he's not your prototypical leadoff hitter like he's not going to take a lot of pitches or whatever but he just grinds these at bats 
and they have the game start with Murphy, and you can turn it over to Zobris and turn it over to Rizzo and Javi when they're hot. It, it makes a big difference, and they really, in this very last game, Corey, I think this lineup really grinded out Homer Bailey, just exhausted him. And I, I think that's kind of what we saw in 2016 that won them so many games. So I'm excited to see Bryant come back with Murphy, with Javi, with Zobris, with Rizzo. Everyone's starting to click a little bit because that lineup, guys, is just, it's incredible. Like that's, that, that lineup may be better than even 2016. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. So I just want to, an, an editor's note there, uh, Chris Bryant will begin his rehab on Monday. Again, we've talked about this a little bit about how somehow it, it seems like not the the main story or something that it just seems like an underrated topic somehow that Chris Bryant has been out and has not been in this lineup. So uh, that is definitely, I think, the lead story here. For the Chicago Cubs, you know, we we saw, you're absolutely right, the effect of Daniel Murphy that he can have on this lineup, you know, and when they first acquired him in in the last episode we did, you know, you went through some of those numbers, uh, especially some of the projections just about how high he was ranked as far as the hitters go. And I think you really saw that this weekend and what he can do for this lineup, especially when you contrast it with some of the younger guys who are, are struggling a bit. And, you know, we, we've kind of seen maybe decreased presences from guys like Albert Almora, Ian Happ, you know, Albert Almora in the nine hole today. So I think you've really seen the effect of Daniel Murphy. And when you really start to play around with this lineup, but with Chris Bryant in it, I mean, man, Brendan, is it tough to not be really excited about that? Yeah, especially we'll, we'll, with what we'll Chris has been saying, too. He's been... Right, I was going to say, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get into in, in a second what he's been talking about and, and some of the things that he's going to change with his swing and stuff going forward. But, you know, even if you don't necessarily get MVP-level Chris Bryant, you know, as long as you're not getting bum shoulder Chris Bryant, right? I mean, you're, you you know, you have a a top four in the order, uh, you know, on particular days of Daniel Murphy, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javi Baez. I mean, man, like giddy up, Brendan. So Corey, I want to give you my lineup. Let's say for a game one, I'm going to go out there and just say the playoffs are going to be there, right? I want to give you my game one and I'll get ahead of ourselves here. It's more, more fun. Okay. Let's put it this way. When Brian is back healthy, I want to give you the lineup, which we can play around with this, but it's just for fun, right? So here's what I got. This is what I wrote down. And maybe when I'm saying this, you can write this down too. But my my leadoff guy for the Cubs for the majority of these games is Murphy as second base, Bryant batting second, playing third base, Rizzo at first base, uh, Baez at shortstop in the cleanup spot, Zobris in right field batting fifth, Contreras catching, batting sixth, Schwarber in left, batting seventh. And then you can flip-flop your pitcher in your center field spot, which can be Hayward or Hap, whatever you want to do. So that's kind of where I think the lineup will go. I I was thinking about this too, and Schwarber has been playing a lot uh, better just within the last week or so. But it does beg the question with, with Bodie playing so well, and with his defensive value too, it might actually make sense to have Bryant, you know, go in the outfield for a few days to spell Schwarber, just to get Bodie in there as well. And because Bodie's such a quality third baseman defensively, it, it may not be that big of a risk. So that's what I kind of got. And there's no news on the Addison Russell front for now. So we don't even know when he'll be back. But when he comes back, that does change the picture a little bit. Maybe not actually, but. Those are the eight guys I think will play the majority of the time, and if that's the case, wow! Like that that lineup is is is, is honestly is insane. Yeah, I'm all for that. I think you and I are pretty much in lockstep on that. I, I think currently I might switch Schwarber and Contreras. Right. Um, Contreras is in a bit of a rut, and I think you know just especially in the playoffs, like you see it today, the ability for Schwarber to very quickly send a ball out of the stadium, I think is is something, and he just has a great approach. He gets, he gets screwed, I think more than anybody on it does bad umpire like strike zones. He's, he's a real victim of the human element because I think he has a really good command of the zone, uh, but he just gets punished for bad calls for whatever reason. It seems like he's on, on the receiving end of those, but yeah, I think that that's the thing. And I think 
you know, this is also one of those situations. We say this all the time, but this is a perfect group for Joe Madden to be the manager of. And, you know, we've nitpicked some of his decisions and how he manages playing time, of course. But I think he's he's the perfect person for this because he's very adept at managing inning to inning, batter to batter, you know, pitch to pitch when it gets to the playoffs. And I think you, you bring up some of these things that, you know, you're probably going to be looking at, you know, when do you get David Bodie in there? Does he, I mean, I think it's, it's crazy to think that he wouldn't be on the playoff roster, but you never know, what, right? David like Bode? I don't necessarily, yeah. Uh, I'd be shocked if he's left off give, at this point. So would I, right. but you just, I mean, you just never know, especially with where, you know, we're at with the bullpen and we don't know what's going to go on with there. I'm just saying, I'm not guaranteeing I anything, hear but I would be shocked as well if he wasn't, but you know, how do you get him in there? If Addison comes back, what does he look like? You know, because if he's swinging the bat like he was prior to going down, he's a defensive sub and basically nothing else. Um, if he starts to look a little more normal, I, I suppose things get a little interesting. But I think basically what you're looking at is, you know, managing Murphy's playing time as it relates to defense, uh, managing, you know, someone like Zobris, someone like Schwarber as it relates to defense. And you have all of these options, I think, to successfully navigate those situations. So I, I think, again, you know, you look at the effect that Murphy has on this lineup and the continued effect that David Bodie has had. I, I think they have some really nice options and are going to be able to uh, really play the situations, which I think in the playoffs is a huge advantage. So this is fun. The, this I, I was just laughing at this, honestly, but... The Zips projections for the rest of the season had the Cubs winning 95 games. Actually, no, this is Fangrass. I'm sorry. This is Fangrass projections. 95 total wins. And so what you can do is you can go in and see which player is projected to get the most playing time. And this is the funny part. So Zobrist is only expected to get, what is this, (laughs) 20% playing time going forward by the Cubs at all positions, not just second base, right field, all positions, 20% total playing time. And that assumes Chris Bryant comes in and plays about 90% of the time. Zobris is going to play more. And when you factor in just matchups and everything, how this is going to work out, like 95 wins seems almost like a minimum if you want to consider it that way, right? Zobris has been one of the, the solidifying points in this lineup for the past month now. This team has so much depth, and it's it's uh, it's funny they're they're breaking these computers over here. So I, maybe I can just read this off so you can get a better picture. But uh, Murphy is projected to get fifty five percent of the at bats at second base going forward. Javi is projected to get half the time at shortstop going forward. His other half at second base with Russell uh, getting half the time when he comes back. Chris Bryant is projected to get ninety percent of the playing time going forward. Bodie only projected to get less than 10% of the playing time going forward. I doubt that will happen. Schwarber getting 90%, Hayward getting 80%, and Elmore getting 70%. Half getting a little below 50%. Those are very crude numbers to look at this. And again, I think when you factor in matchups, which is, has been mad in strength all year, I believe, 95 wins seems like almost a minimum, Corey. Is that, is that crazy to think? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's going to be about how they navigate the schedule coming up. Um, you know, especially you look at this Mets series, they're going to have to face DeGrom and Syndergaard. And then, as you mentioned before, you're going to get into some of these nitty-gritty head-to-head matchups with, with the Cardinals and Brewers and, you know, some of these other teams. Uh, Let me ask you a question. But... Who do you, who, whose playing time do you think suffers the most when KB comes back? And assuming Addison is still injured, of the current group, who do you think gets his at-bats taken away the most? I think you'd have to assume Bodie, right? I don't think I so. Mean, I, I think it's Elmora. I think it's Elmora. I, I feel as if Hap just has a little bit more upside because of that power potential. And Bodie's hot, man. I just don't see how when you draw a lineup up and you put Elmora in there for a defense, you're kind mm-hmm. of doing the same thing with Bodie for a defense because he is such a great defender. And what I mean by that is if you put Bodie at third base, you can shift over Hayward to center field, and you still get that quality right, defense. To right. So I don't know. I feel as if with Amore's kind of recent hiccups, he looked better as of late, but with his recent hiccups, I feel as if 
Amora may be the odd man out. Not saying he's not going to play, but if you're looking at all these guys, I don't see how you cannot not play Bodie. He's been incredibly impressive. It, no, I mean, it's definitely true. And, uh, you know, you look at, uh, I mean, the the two walk-off home runs he's hit, you know, both of them on two strikes. and Two wavelength shots we, this week. <laughs> right. And, and we you know, we talked about how impressed we were, you know, just the first time he came up. But for him to continue getting at bats in these clutch situations for a young guy to not be phased by those moments and then stay within his approach and, you know, continue doing what he's been doing since he came up, which is just absolutely just hitting absolute lasers, just an <laughs> yeah. exit velocity machine is David Bodie. It's just so impressive. So I don't know. I, I mean, it was just sort of my instinct, you know, just because right, right, right. he doesn't have the longest track record. Um, and obviously he's been spending the majority of his games at a position that KB might come back to. But I suppose it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. It, it's just one of those things we, we've seen Almora play such a big role at times this year. It's, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, a little difficult for me to envision him being totally phased out. Um, well, I know yeah, Madden well, I'm not saying said totally something the other out. day about... You know, Madden said something the other day about not always wanting to ride the hot hand, which I thought was a funny <laughs> comment from him because I don't really think he follows that advice all the time. But it'll be very interesting to to see how this all plays out. But but what I wanted to ask you in particular, since we're we're kind of on this topic of the offense, is to maybe take us through what Chris Bryant is going to be doing that is different than what he was doing before. And I know you mentioned the the quotes kind of making you very excited. So in maybe in layman's terms, can you explain the changes that Chris Bryant, that, that we'll all be seeing from Chris Bryant when he does come back? Yeah. And it, it, Evan and I have been very fortunate to, to be able to talk to Mike Bryant over the last year and a half. I talked to Mike about a year ago and I was asking Mike at that time, like, what was the logic with Chris Bryant widening his stance and the his thought process was he was getting out on that front side too much and on curveballs and off-speed pitches Chris would be off balance and I wrote about this a year ago on CubsInsider.com it's actually on my Twitter page pinned if you want to listen to it but that was the thought process there and I bring that up because when Chris widened his stance out like that he had an incredible year in San Diego obviously in route to becoming the second overall pick by the Cubs I say that because uh, Saturday, Chris made this change to his swing where he's not going to do that one-handed follow-through anymore. He's going to do a two-handed follow-through, a lot like what Rizzo does, a lot like Mike Trout does. A lot of the premier power hitters in the game have a two-handed follow-through. And Chris was saying, yeah, like the, the ball is jumping off my bat. And he compared this change, the benefit of this change to when he widened his stance out in college which is a big deal. That was like his trademark change that propelled him to this level. For Chris to say that, to compare this change to that and with the amount of enthusiasm he had to the media and just, you could tell he's, he's feeling it. And uh, there were some reports from the beat writer saying Chris was playing pepper with a scoreboard out in left field. That's encouraging. That's beyond encouraging to me. And if you can get a healthy Chris Bryant back to full capacity and maybe even boosting some of those power numbers that we've seen dip this year, even when he's been on the field. That is, inserting 2016 lineup, or 2016 Bryant into the lineup, is a big deal. I'm not saying that's going to happen. And in my mind, over the last few weeks, I kind of expected Bryant not to be at full capacity at 100%, because Madden's been telling us that. But for Bryant, maybe he's just, this is all smoke and mirrors. He's just saying this to you know boost his own uh, whatever. But if he is going to come back with this change, and if this change is going to propel him forward to a next level, like look out. Yeah, I, I would have to say that reading the beat writers' reports of those batting practice sessions was extremely exciting. Uh, they just talking about how he was blasting home runs. Right hitting the scoreboard. I think on one of the days they said he hit like 10 moonshots during a session in BP. Um, so yeah, of course it's exciting. And, you know, I think that just kind of circling it back to the whole offense and, and, and what this effect is again, we, we don't know 
how healthy he's going to be. You know, we did hear them say that perhaps he would not be at 100% overall strength this season, but I mean, you're getting a guy who was the MVP. I, I really don't think that we're overstating this. I, I, again, I think it is being understated by everyone, Cubs fans, the baseball media in, in general. Like, we are not positive how he's going to come back. But the Cubs are getting one of the best hitters in the league injected into their lineup while they are currently a season high above 23 games above 500 they have a four game lead in the division over the st louis cardinals and they've been you know staying afloat quite well and they're going not only did they add daniel murphy which as you watch him play brendan how in the world did he get through the waiver system to the cubs not <laughs> one funny. team that was going to have to play the cubs Jake, thought it might be a good idea there's this running to, jo- there's this running joke on the, the cubs broadcast where like jd or lens say that at least once a, once a game and it's 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 true though how does a team like colorado not pick this guy up or milwaukee or like <laughs> right. bizarre i mean even just to to keep him from the cubs but for the cubs to get this guy i mean you know and and so I think when you look at what he does to the lineup, and again, I I don't know which KB we're going to get back, but even anywhere close to his normal production, I mean, you're just talking about such an incredibly strong lineup and, and taking a lineup where we've talked about the inconsistencies and the adjustments and the youth and just injecting, you know, obviously a huge veteran presence and a a talent in daniel murphy and then hopefully getting a rejuvenated chris bryant who won the mvp two years ago just you know and you're looking at this group thinking okay like you know and we 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 talked all year about how you know rizzo had such a slow start he continues to look more and more you know like anthony rizzo every day and he's, he's just putting up monster numbers and you know i think Again, we'll see what happens with Brian, but I think if he's able to come back soon, you know, you may really look at that first time. We've kind of been waiting for it all year where that offense is really rolling at full steam, 100%, Rizzo, Bryant going at the same time. You know, you've got Javi who's continued to do his thing. I'm pretty excited to see where this goes, Um, you know, and um, it's been fascinating to see the effect of daniel murphy at the top of that lineup he goes two for five in the first in his uh the first game against the reds two for four in the second game one for five on saturday and two for four on sunday and it it just feels it feels like we're watching the same guy who destroyed us like two or three years ago and and i and i and you know we saw it too i think i mentioned on the last show when we were you know introducing the daniel murphy situation to the team where i mentioned that he had told len casper that he likes hitting at wrigley field because he thinks that gap power can play up into home runs well guess what uh, you know one of those home runs was exactly that i think the one that he hit to the opposite field was a gap shot that right. stays up gets in the basket and he's got himself a home run so i thought that was pretty cool to kind of see him say that and then go out and and, and basically execute it. But yeah, I think, you know, for a topic that has, I think, ebbed and flowed basically the whole year, it's tough not to feel... I don't know, Brendan. Like maybe as confident in this offense as you have all year. Um, Maybe I'm too confident in the offense, but I just... I I don't know. I, I feel from the Chris Bryant rehab saga, even dating back to July... He never sounded this confident, and even a week ago, we didn't have a timetable for Chris's return, so I didn't expect a rehab stint this soon. Uh, I don't know what you thought, but I'm surprised he's going out there on Monday to rehab, and if everything goes well and his rehab starts, and maybe Monday, Tuesday, he could be back Wednesday, maybe Thursday for the upcoming games against either the Braves on that makeup game on Thursday or he'll face the Phillies maybe for the weekend set. And if that's the case, I'm surprised. I just think given what we heard with with his rehab progress and Madden's unwillingness to say he'll even be 100% and even Jed Hoyer's comments, this is about as encouraging of news as you can get about Chris Bryant and then some with the whole potential of him even having more power if, if, if what he's saying is indeed actually true. 
Yeah, I I wasn't necessarily expecting him back this soon, you know, just because similar to some of these other ones, they've not necessarily been cryptic, but just kind of like, yeah, it's progressing, it's good, but we're not really sure when it's going to get accelerated here. But I, I, I'm the, one of the things that really jumps out is I'm glad that he's able to be doing this, you know, especially as you contrast it to Brandon Morrow, who, were, you know, is still just sort of playing catch and, and kind of... Uh, treading water here, but I'm comforted that KB, you know, may be able to come back either before September begins or around early September. It's seemingly before that, but, you know, I don't know how many games they're going to want him to play. And just that he'll have that time to get back into the the, the swing of things, if you will, and, and just get that comfort back, you know, just because he has been away for uh, a little while here. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you never know if a guy comes back towards the end of September, you know, how quickly does he readjust to everything and, and, and get back to his his real groove. So uh, it, it's good that they're, you know, progressing with this right now. And I, I think like you mentioned with him being so confident and in, in the swing and so excited right. about the changes that he's making, you, know, you hear him say something, uh, he, he basically just said to the media today, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go right now. And it's just, you know, we don't really get that kind of uh, bravado, I guess, from Chris Bryant very often. So when he says something like that, you're like, okay. Yeah, like, okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Let's let's get him in there then. But since we're on the offense, Brendan, I, I do want to circle back to something that we've been paying attention to a good bit here in in the last few weeks and and that is is still Wilson Contreras and as we look at this offense and we kind of fantasize over our best lineups and our playoff lineups obviously Wilson's the guy he's the catcher and you know throughout this whole season the the overall numbers have been pretty good again not what we had expected from him um, but, you know, overall for a catcher who does provide a lot on defense and is young and growing, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty good numbers, but uh, just not elevated to that level that I think a lot of us thought we would see coming in. And, you know, just to update some of these samples, if you look at 30 games, so his last 103 at-bats, 233 batting average, and a 651 OPS, and those numbers get markedly worse in the more recent splits. In 15 games, in his last 15 games, 52 at bats, a 154 batting average, Ugh. and I have to do some hard math on this. Uh, around, <laughs> I'm going to say a 420 uh, OPS, which is not good. And you know, even in the last 30 games, only two home runs, only nine RBIs, and it's not good. Uh, again, I think we talk about this all the time where it just doesn't look right. And even in today's game, he makes a good bit of contact, but none of it any good. And when you go back and think to his super hot stretch in in the second half of last year, you know, he was just ripping the ball, extra base hits, homers, and it just not, he doesn't look like the same guy. And I know we kind of talked about perhaps the workload associated with being the starting catcher and needing to manage the staff of pitchers, which has obviously changed a good bit. And, you know, that is something that obviously you need to give credit to Wilson for. You know, he goes from preparing all spring to catch you, Darvish, and, you know, the, what, five, six pitches that you brings to the <laughs> table. You know, now he's catching Cole Hamels. So th- this stuff changes all the time uh, and you do want to give him credit for that we talked a little bit about you know some of the the philosophies that Chili Davis has um, but we're just not seeing that uptick from him you know and and I, and I think you, you kind of get a good contrast from someone like Schwarber who's obviously a, a very different hitter but you know he seemed to kind of go in and out of these spurts and you know he's nearing the 25 homer mark we're seeing plenty of these guys on this team putting up pretty solid home run numbers um so you know i know that you know we kind of talked about this a little bit recently but it does seem as far as the offense is concerned one of the more pressing issues i suppose here brendan so just any changing thoughts or, or where are you on this this whole situation the thing is like i'm not sure there's anything that we can necessarily or not we but the cubs can necessarily do at this point i think when we talk about 
other player struggles on this team in the past, we always supplement that with saying, okay, maybe, for example, if Hap is struggling, Almora should maybe get a little bit more at bats to give Hap a break, right? There's no one to give Wilson a break right now. I mean, you can give Victor Caratini at bats, but I don't even know if giving Caratini at bats is going to be even better than Wilson at his current moment. Like, Caratini's been almost a disaster, honestly, Corey, just very little value. Um, both defensively and offensively. So I don't know. I don't think there's anything they can necessarily do other than go out and acquire a veteran catcher before this 31st deadline of August. But it stands out. And I think however you want to slice up these, these, these data, the biggest one always comes down to how hard is Wilson hitting the baseball? And it's substantially worse over the last two months. I mean, even since the All-Star break, his exit velocity is 85 miles per hour. Before that, it was 89, which was a little bit above league average, basically at the marker. 85 is down in the lower tier of baseball, Corey. I mean, we're talking about guys like Jose Reyes and Charlie Culberson and and Kevin Kiermaier, not to make you nauseous or anything, but these are the guys who have similar exit velos as Contreras throughout the entire year. Um, so that's the biggest takeaway. I don't think our eyes are necessarily lying to us, but I don't know if there's anything that they can do right now. We need Wilson's arm behind the dish, especially with Lester's uh, not being able to, to hold runners on as closely as he would like, and even other guys as well. Wilson's a big advantage defensively just from a controlling the, the run game standpoint. I think if they don't acquire a veteran backstop in the next few days, I would be surprised. I think I don't, I'm not in the dugout or whatever. I don't know if he's fatigued or whatever, but I feel as if your first major league season, it'd be almost crazier to think that he's not fatigued at this point. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I absolutely think that that's, that's a factor in things. And, you know, just since you brought it up, like his, his numbers at the all-star break were really solid. I, I mean, he had a 121 WRC plus in the first half, a 355 Woba and 818 OPS like that's that's really solid and you know especially considering everything that we're talking about you know that he is managing this pitching staff he's playing a lot more and in this second half he's got a 79 WRC plus a 292 uh, weighted on base average so almost a, a 63 point drop in in Woba there and again in the first half an 818 OPS 650 OPS in the second half so just a real noticeable decline from Wilson Contreras in the yeah. second half. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that it perhaps the, 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 the wear and tear of playing every day. And, you know, we talk about some of these guys on offense all the time and none of them really have anywhere close to the defensive responsibility that Wilson does. Uh, and they have their own inconsistencies on offense themselves. So I think it's, it, it's definitely possible for that. Um, I'm not really sure, like you said, I'm not really sure that they're going to be in a position to do much about that heading down the stretch. I mean, I think that the best thing you can hope for is that the Cubs can continue to play well. They can, you know, kind of try to push this division out of reach uh, for the Cardinals and Brewers and, you know, maybe try to get Wilson some rest down the stretch there. Uh, and as you head into the playoffs, you know, try to have him as fresh as you possibly can. And, you know, the, the, there's no way of... Yeah, sorry to, sorry to interject, but I feel as if the the quality of the at-bats, too, are just not what we expect from Wilson and what we've seen in the first few months yeah. of the year. Like, you can tell he's expanding his zone a little bit, and we haven't really seen that much expansion before, I think, even July or, or August. So that that kind of just makes the issue even a little bit more prominent because not only is he missing yeah. his pitches— but now he's getting a little bit more anxious and extending his zone and just not looking like the guy we saw for the majority of his career. Right. So all told, I mean, that's, you know, that's not the worst position to be in, right? Where, you know, you're looking at this lineup up and down and I think you're, you're pretty excited about the way things are going to shake up and the options that Joe Madden is going to have. And, you know, even when you do look at guys like Elmora, Hap, those, those kind of guys who are, aren't necessarily getting everyday playing time, you know, I think you're, you're, you're 
heading down the stretch here and into the playoffs with a very deep team and a ton of options for Joe Madden, be it you know, you want a, a different kind of pinch hitter. You, you know, you're going to have guys who can pinch run. You're going to have guys who you can put out a really, really solid top tier defensive lineup. So I think it's a really good position. And, you know, if one of the, the worst things going on right now is maybe your starting catcher is a little fatigued and it's affecting his offense, you know, so be it, right? Like, <laughs> right. The, you know, that there's, there's, I think, worse problems to be had. And, you know, hopefully, again, they can kind of try to mitigate that or or get in there with the data and maybe figure out you know it's not fatigue and it's it's something he's doing at the plate and try to improve it but since we're talking about potentially fatigue playing a factor here you know you do want to give him credit and you know maybe we can transition here to how good the starting pitching has looked recently um you know and the cubs tweeting out not too long ago that the starting pitchers have allowed two or fewer runs in seven straight games. Uh, we continue to see, you know, the last few starts from John Lester have been very solid. Cole Hamels has been Incredible. lights out as a Chicago Cub. If he had pitched like this the entire year, he would be the front runner for the Cy Young or, or certainly right there in the discussion because uh, he has been amazing. Kyle Hendricks continues to look like himself. He got that ERA under four today. Just looks very good and you know against the Reds lineup that does have some pop so you know always nice to see um Kyle do his thing I'll let you handle the Jose Quintana portion of this podcast um but you know even Alec Mills who I didn't mention when I did the quick recap but he comes up gets a spot start and is very good for this team so um it it's it's been a good stretch for these pitchers and I think you know as we talked about the offense and you know adding Daniel Murphy, potentially getting a healthy and productive Chris Bryant back. The starting pitching appears to be perhaps hitting a little bit of a stride. Um, and I, I, I will point out, I don't know if you did this on purpose, Brendan, but I think you buried the lead when you mentioned that Chris Bryant was beginning his rehab on Monday because Tyler <laughs> Chatwood will also be beginning his rehab on Monday, which I think is uh, the the most important thing happening in in Cub no, I'm kidding. Well, cool, you're um, missing the other the the trio of that entire group too. Brian Dunsing is on a rehab stint okay. as well. You know, we're just yeah, getting everyone. Look, back. I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, <laughs> I don't want either of them anywhere near this team for the rest of the year. Ugh, um, keep Tyler Catwood and Brian Dunsing away from this group. And yeah. <laughs> that that's literally all I have to say about that. It's it's pretty cut and dry. Just keep them as far away from this team as humanly possible. Court, can I share with you but, some numbers about the starting staff over the past two weeks? I would love for you okay. to do that, Brendan. Very quality numbers. This is not even updated with Kyle Hendricks' start today. But over the last two weeks or 12 starts for the Cubs, collectively, the bunch has a 2.69 year rate, a 2.90 FIP, Worth two war in a total of 70 innings pitched, which is very good. It's over five innings per start, almost six um, when the math is checked out. That is good, Corey. And that actually ranks fourth best in Major League Baseball when you factor in everything together. Pretty good. Uh, can, I start to, <laughs> can I now talk about Quintana? Is that okay? Now that we got the positives out of the way? Yes, I mean only only because I think it's it's you know it it has been pretty simple with with those other guys. They've just been very good. They've been giving you length. They've been keeping the team in the game. They've been limiting the walks, getting whiffs. It's it's pretty simple. The starting pitching has has just been good for this team. And you know we're going to see Mike Montgomery coming back shortly. You know he's he's not necessarily a guy who you are looking at as someone who may be starting a playoff game, but he's obviously played know. a very important role for this team out of the bullpen. And as you go down the stretch here, someone like him is, is always very important. So it it, it, it again it, it things are things are coming up Cubs right now, Brendan. It, it really does feel that way. So now that you know everybody's feeling great, where we're thinking, oh wow, we're putting out projected playoff lineups, and oh man, this is great. Now I'll turn it to you, and you can talk about Jose Quintana. Okay, Quintana is. I I don't know what's going on. I Matt Clapp tweeted this that he thinks he's injured. Matt Clapp, by the way, a fantastic Twitter follow at Matt Clapp. But he has just not been good, and I, I say that generally because there's so many ways that have contributed to his underwhelming numbers. I think first and foremost 
the velocity over the last few weeks, and in particular today, have been much lower than what we've seen this year and in years past. I mean, today he averaged just under 91 miles per hour. Earlier in the year, he was sitting in the mid-92s, like between 92 and 93. So whether you want to use velocity as your barometer of fatigue or whatever or injury, that's just what the, the numbers look like, and I don't think that's encouraging. Number two, I mentioned this in the last podcast, but his change-up usage in his most frequent successful start was the highest of the year. So I said, man, I am really looking forward to seeing what the change-up usage will look like against the Reds. He threw one change-up, Corey, in that start one, just one. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the issue is. I don't want to say he's injured or fatigued without knowing because that's just not fair. I'm not going to do that. He did have his start not pushed back, but lengthened between the all-star break and his post-second half start by about 11 days in total. So there were some issues just not too long ago, about six weeks ago. I don't know if those are contributing, but again, these are the numbers. I think the overall takeaway from this is if this is your fourth starter in the playoffs, that's fine. That's I don't think that's a big deal. Uh, I think Q has enough smarts to get through these lineups with you know not his best stuff but there are times where because he doesn't have those whiffs and this is the biggest thing for me of of them all he doesn't have a third pitch he only has two pitches and guys can can survive off that but the margin for error is so low and if Q cannot command his curveball and he cannot command his fastball with the velocity, I worry that some of these really bad starts he showed this year can show up again in high leverage games. I'm just, just in the back of my head, that's always been a concern of mine. And his contact over these last few starts have been in the worst of Major League Baseball, in the likes of Bartolo Colon and Mike Leake. That's not who Q is, it's not who he's been. Um, so, yeah, I think one step forward, two steps back has been kind of Q's entire season, I feel like, Corey. Maybe it's just me imagining this, but I feel as if when, whenever he shows a positive sign, the next start, we just go way backwards, and we're still talking about the same issues we've mm-hmm. talked about in May. It's just very frustrating for me. Yeah, it, it, it also just feels like, you know, he just he, he really has not put together many of those starts. And we've seen a lot of them from those the other top three guys recently where, you know, you just feel like he's in total command of the game and he's just dominating the, the opposing offense. They they you know, he's he's ahead of them. He's thinking ahead of them. They're they're not on his his changes of speeds and everything. You just don't feel like you're getting that many starts uh, like that from him. You kind yeah. of feel like every start you're you know, riding the the high wire, not 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 in the sense like Chatwood, where he's putting so many guys on, but you just kind of feel like at any moment this can just slip off the rails. And I, there's there's something so frustrating. Um, he he seems to do this a lot, you know. And I I mentioned that Royals start a lot because he wasn't able to put to get put away the eight nine hitters in their lineup who you know maybe combined are hitting two fifty. Uh, and it, you know, it comes back to bite him. And then, you know, you look at the, the red start from this weekend and he's in like a seven pitch full count battle with the opposing pitcher Castillo. And, you know, I'm at the game, like, what is the deal here? Like put him away. (laughs) What is going on right now? And it, it just seems like something that he runs into a lot where he, he just is in these battles and it, doesn't feel like he should be in battles with these guys and so yeah uh, unfortunately it it sort of has felt like that all year and again I I think they're you know if if your fourth starter which is where he would rank uh right now is able to give you five six innings keep you in the game and you know as the manager Joe Madden that you need to be on it when he shows signs of fatigue or the lineup turns over for the third time and you can see guys jumping on him you know you know you need to have a quick hook with him that's okay it's it's not the worst place to be if you want to compare that line of thinking to what they traded for him it's that's not okay not good. correct but 
that's not really the position we're in anymore. He's on the team. The trade is over. He played a, a very big role in the team last year. So I, you know, I think you guys know that Brendan and I aren't really that fond of doing that. Um, the, the trade is what the trade is. If you constantly want to mention Jimenez and Cease when you see Jose Quintana, that's your prerogative. But I think at this point we have to uh, understand what happened at the time and what's happening now. And you know, again, I think that what he's able to do as your fourth starter right now is fine going forward, you know, and in, in coming years, I don't really know that that's super fine, but you know, you're going to have to make that adjustment at the time. But for now, I think the biggest thing is exactly what I said. Like, I think you just have to go into these starts knowing that he can probably give you a, a competitive start, keep you in the game. You know, maybe you get, a, a, you know, a higher version of that, whatever. Uh, but that you just need to understand, like, this guy has run out of gas in a lot of these starts. And you need to be ready with the bullpen to get him out there immediately. And when he shows those signs of fatigue or, you know, starts getting in those battles with, with bottom of the order hitters, you need to bring somebody else in. It's just where they are right now. Right. Um, and you know, for right now, again, similar to the Contreras thing, it's like, it, it, it's fine. You know, you, you'd like to improve both of those situations with where they're at right now. But as far as the overall situation of the team, they're, they're, they're fine. Those being your, your kind of main issues right now is, is really first world problems right. and, and really not that big of a deal. So the, the overall picture for the rotation, there is news on that front as well. They will be going with a six man rotation for the next week, at least uh, nothing is set in stone according to all the reports we've heard, but from what we are hearing, Montgomery is expected to be back for Thursday's start, and Alec Mills will get another start. And for the short term, they will go with six men. And like I, I think this is just my gut, but I don't think this will be the last time we see the six man. Maybe because the Cubs have been so fortunate and have been playing so well that they can afford themselves to rest a little bit because their division lead is so much higher, or. They're protecting John Lester, protecting Jose Quintana's shoulder that he had fatigue in a month ago. I see the six-man rotation kind of being a thing, and if Montgomery can come back, look strong, give the team five innings, I think they may even go through it one more time. That's just my gut. So there is news on that front as well. And just just briefly before I preview this upcoming series, but Alec Mills looked pretty good, Corey. Uh, I did not expect that. I knew he had five pitches, but... I was getting a lot of shades of Aaron Nola from the Phillies. Aaron Nola has much better stuff than Mills, not saying that. But the reason I say that is because they kind of have similar release points and their curveballs are kind of that loopy, side-sweeping action type feel to it. I was impressed by Alec Mills. His numbers in Iowa have not been good. His ERA and FIP are both around five. Not good for a AAA dude, but whatever we saw in his most recent start, his first start against the Reds, that was promising. And I'm not, I don't have an opinion of whether or not he should be going forward here on out, but I just thought it was fun to watch. And I am kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious where it can go. Um, but that is the, the whole entire picture for this rotation. Montgomery, I, I want to read this too, because I feel as if people have underappreciated what Montgomery has done out of the rotation this year, Corey. I, I I think it has been kind of a missing point, but he has 73 innings out of the rotation this year, 73. In those 73 innings, he has an ERA of basically at three, and his FIP is 3.84. That's, I mean, come on, guys. Like, that's what you want from a top three starter in your rotation, and Montgomery's filled in very well for you darvish and he's been even in swing roles this year as well so getting montgomery back to this team to this rotation to this pitching staff in general is a very big deal i don't want it to go under notice as well yeah absolutely and you know just touching on the the alec mills point that you brought up those, those guys are very important we've seen a lot of those guys you know those kind of not necessarily random but uh, those guys who only make small contributions to teams like this, but they're very important. And, you know, we've seen some of those spot starts not go so well uh, over over the last few years. You know, you think of the Brian Maddis game, even though they do win that game. 
um, the the Jen Hosang start that does not go very well, I believe, last year, late last year. And so, yeah, for Mills to step in there, I mean, it's important. You know, when you have teams like the Brewers and Cardinals on your heels, you know, you get a guy to come in there and show up at Wrigley Field, like, you know, make his first start there. And he was very good. And again, you know, uh, I think it happens every time we play the Reds that people, I think, underrate the talent in that lineup. And, you know, you don't have Joey Votto now, but if Eugenio Suarez was on a different team, I think he's pretty easily an MVP candidate. Um, He's got some monster numbers. And... So, yeah, I, I think it was very impressive and, and, and worth taking a pause to, to note that contribution because those little those little things are, are very important. And, um, you know, the depth that the Cubs have allows them to, to have those guys step up and, and, and make those contributions. And sometimes it's, it's not as long-lasting yeah. as, as what we're seeing from someone like David Bodie. You know, it, it, it's more of a, a come-and-go thing, but, you know, something that I don't think will be forgotten necessarily. Right. Okay, let's preview these games against the Mets. So the Cubs will have a three-game set at Wrigley Field against the New York Mets, who are struggling, unfortunately, for the Cubs. They will face Noah Syndergaard in that first game on Monday at 7.05 p.m. start time. Lester, however, will take the mound against Syndergaard. Lester 14-5 with a 3.64 year rate. Syndergaard with a 9-3 record, a 3.38 year rate. It does not get easier, Corey, for the Cubs. On Tuesday, they faced Jacob deGrom, who's 8-8 eight eight with a stellar 1.71 year rate. He's had no run support the entire year. His record obviously should be much better. But Cole Hamels will face deGrom for the Cubs, who's a total record of 9-9 this year for the Cubs with a 3.82 ERA. And then on Wednesday, Alec Mills will take the mound for his second Cubs start. Uh, again, trying to follow up on that eight strikeout, one walk appearance against the Reds. The Cubs will face Jason Vargas, who's four and eight. You ready for this? A 6.96 ERA has been one of the worst starters in the league this year. And that game is starting at 1.20 p.m. And then uh, just kind of, I think we may do this on the rest of the podcast for the season, but just to paint the entire picture, they have a makeup game against the Braves on Thursday, and then they face the Phillies this weekend. So this is a week of the National League East, uh, Corey. My biggest, I guess, focal point for this series probably will be the bullpen, I feel like. Strope did blow that save, and uh, Sadaf Sharma tweeted this, and it kind of concerned me, but I'm not going to touch too much on it. But Carl Edwards Jr. has not gotten that many whiffs recently. Um, I have to look into that more. But I think the bullpen, seeing how they kind of just are able to handle this workload uh, with Strope in the closer role and CJ, he did have some fatigue earlier in the year, and CJ and all these other guys. So that's the biggest focal point for me. If they continue to play strong later in the game, this this team is about to click on all cylinders, I feel like, with KB coming back. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And, you know, worth kind of noting, obviously not with the Mets, but you're unfortunate enough to get two of their best pitchers. Uh, but, you know, it's only one game with the Braves, and then you have the Phillies next weekend. And, you know, you got to remember, these are teams competing for playoff spots. They're, they're jockeying for position, the Braves and Phillies over in the NL East. Uh, so this is, you know, prime time late August, September baseball, where, you know, these teams are not screwing around and they are determined to, you know, their season is on the line. So just, just something I think to, to keep perspective on, um, you know, we're not necessarily playing the pirates, right? Like these, these are teams that, that really, uh, are going to be showing up for these games. So just to, to set the scene as well, the, the Cubs will head into Monday with a four game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, five in the loss column and a four-and-a-half game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers, six in the loss column, which, again, uh, until those games get sorted out, going to keep pointing that out because those are games that the Cubs have in hand. And I know it sounds easy to say that they control their own destiny, but those are games that the Cubs get to show up and compete in, and they have to lose in order for the Cardinals or Brewers to catch them. So I, I, I always think that that's important to uh, point out. The St. Louis Cardinals are off on Monday, and then they will play 
the Pittsburgh Pirates coming up uh, on Tuesday, and as well for the Brewers, they are off on Monday, and they will have they will head to Cincinnati to play the Reds that we just saw. So that kind of setting the table a little bit for you. Um, and you know, before I offer some brief thoughts on this Mets series, just an interesting tweet that I was looking at uh, from the Cubs no hit streak account on Twitter. And just pointing out that, of course, after Sunday's game, the Cubs are 76 and 53. And I just thought this was an interesting note just to compare it to these last three seasons. But here's their record since 2015 after 129 games. I know that's sort of an arbitrary number, but it's a Sunday, so it sort of makes sense to to clear it there. Uh, In 2017, the Cubs were 69 and 60 after 129 games. In 2016, which you may remember is also the year the Cubs won the World Series. They did win the World Series. Yep, they did that. Right. Just always want to make sure Mm -hmm. we clarify that. Yep. In 2016, 82 and 47 after 129 games. What a fun year that was. In 2015, 74 and 55. So other than the year that they won the World Series, this is the best record the Cubs have had after 129 games. And I think interesting to note in 2015, they end up winning 97. So just circling back to uh, your earlier kind of conversation about, you know, the 95 win projection, et cetera. So uh, certainly doesn't seem crazy to think that they can reach some numbers like that. But yeah, I mean, look, going into this series, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's not really going to change that much. I do agree with you that I, I, I would really feel pretty perfect about this team right now if the Brandon Morrow situation were a, a little clearer. I, it just is a little unnerving. And Pedro Stroke has done a great job giving up a home run to a Eugenio Suarez to blow one save since he's been in the closer spot uh, is not going to make me rethink that. Um, But, you know, you do just always have to remember that Strope isn't a closer. This is not the role that he has occupied for this team uh, really ever. And this is not the role that he came into the season prepared for. And, you know, that's just, it's a variable. It's just something to to keep an eye on. So if they are able to get Morrow back on the path, which I agree with you, Brendan, I am not super thrilled uh, with everything that's going on. And, you know, he's still just playing catch. And, you know, at this point, we're weeks removed from when he was supposed to come off the DL. So I think that situation obviously could be better, but, you know, something to monitor. Uh, But other than that, I I mean, look, you know, you're going to get some pretty excellent pitching. If you're a fan of pitching, uh, which I think, uh, as you guys know, I am, this is what you want to see. And unfortunately, we we need the Cubs to win the games, but at least for a moment, I suppose we can appreciate the matchups and appreciate the fact that, you know, I've heard an awful lot of smack talk from Mets fans in my life. Brendan, I don't know about you. (laughs) It's pretty funny to look at these matchups. You have, you know, Lester and Syndergaard on Monday and Hamels and DeGrom on Tuesday, and just always keep in the back of your head for for those Mets fans who who gave us a lot of flack uh, winning that pennant in 2015, that these games are relevant for the Cubs. They are very far from relevant for the New York Mets. So all these bullets from Syndergaard and DeGrom are totally useless, other than just to ruin our good time. So always, I, I think, something I like to keep in the back of my head. But this is a tough series. I mean, there, there's no other way to put it. Um, Syndergaard and DeGrom are both guys who have the ability to outpitch how awful that team is. And that's just the, the, the you know, the, the plain and, and, and short of it. So you're going to have a tough task. But, you know, we've seen over the years this group put together really impressive and strong performances against pitching like this. And as you ramp up for... this pennant chase and and trying to stave off the Brewers and Cardinals, these are the guys you have to get prepared to beat. And as you head into the playoffs, you know, you can't hide from pitchers like this. So I look forward to seeing what this offense can do, especially, you know, with Daniel Murphy in there, it would be cool, you know, if KB were already back in there, but you know, look, uh, you have to do what you can to take advantage of a bad team. You know, just because you're playing their their two best pitchers and two of the best pitchers in all of baseball, um, you know, they're still not a better team than you. And you're you're going to be throwing right now what I you know I would call your one two in this rotation and John Lester and Cole Hamels. And you know, you got to try to figure out a way to be the better team, which you are. So. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, that, that that that's pretty much it. I mean, I think that really sums it up. I mean, the Cubs are in a good spot right now. They're 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 playing very well. They are at their you know season high mark for the season in terms of games uh, over five hundred. They're on a five game winning streak right now, taking advantage of bad teams, and you just want to keep it going. They 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 really do feel like they're a click or two away, maybe from like really truly hitting that stride. Um, and it it's a good pace right now. Um, so. You just hope they can keep on that path, but um, yeah. it's uh, it's a fun time, you know, going to Wrigley every day, and I look forward to uh, watching John Lester outduel Noah Syndergaard to, uh, on Monday night. By the time we come to you again, guys, you ready for this? Chris Bryant may be in this lineup. Those are my lasting thoughts. Just imagine Chris Bryant back in this lineup. I I've been missing it so much, Corey. I don't think you can say anything more positive than Chris Bryant in. A Cubs lineup. That's that's where I want to leave us. Yeah, I mean there is a just a, a noticeable absence with his bat, and I very much look forward. Hopefully, it's very soon to the day uh, where we see that beautiful, beautiful smile back in the two or three hole, wherever Joe decides to deploy him in that Cubs lineup. But. Other than that, I think that's all we have for you. It's it's always nice. You know, I think that the, the last episode we did was much more bulleted and, you know, here's the update on this guy, this guy, this guy. It's a lot more fun, I think, uh, for everybody when the Cubs just win all the games and we can just <laughs> come on here and say, hey, you know, like the Cubs won all the games. This is pretty good. Uh, but... Other than that, we, of course, will come to you again after the Cubs finish up this series with the Mets, and we will uh, preview that one game with the Braves and that weekend series with the Phillies. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, the Apple Podcasts app, Spotify. We are now available on, and again, Blog Talk Radio is switching everything over to a new service called Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, Speaker with an R in the front. And the blog, the you know, the Blog Talk Radio site will not update anymore. So if you were looking for us wondering why it's uh, been a little while since there's an episode, it's because they have moved over to Spreaker. So as always, we will figure out a way to come to you twice a week before and after every series. And uh, you can take that one to the bank. So if you're not seeing us in your preferred podcast medium, uh, always check some of the other ones or check with us. I am at CF Cubs Related on Twitter. Brendan is at Cubs Related on Twitter. You can also reach us through the Cubs Insider handle, which is at Real Cubs Insider. Other than that, I think we are out of words for this episode. As always, we thank you guys very much uh, for your continued support. We will talk to you after the Cubs finish with the Mets. Go Cubs! There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax Oxygen System is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.